You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled, I Do. This series works to take a fresh look at matrimony, marital brokenness, and dynamic singleness. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We're going to uh, start a new series today called I Do, and uh, the statistics around marriage are well documented and equally depressing. Um, they're, they're not good stats. stats. Uh, 50% of first-time uh, marriages don't make it, and we all know someone uh, in this category. We may be in that category. Uh, how many here would, would be, uh, you're married between one and eight years, like you've been eight, less than eight years? Your, your stats are worse. Um, congratulations. And uh, these stats are, are bad regardless of your educational background, regardless of your race, uh, whether you're a Christian or not, regardless of where you're coming from, who you are, your chances of a lasting marriage are no better than the toss of a coin. Now, the amazing thing to me is like we seem to be okay with that. In fact, there's, there's, we've kind of like uh, learned to deal with that and maybe just that's the way things are. Like it sums up in this picture or this, I, I saw this the other day. Uh, 50% of all marriages end in divorce, but look on the bright side, the other 50% end in death. And so... Um, <laughs> just kind of, hey, you know, that's just what happens, you know. But even in those who make it, even in those who don't get divorced, uh, those marriages, not all those marriages are happily ever after. There's commitment without intimacy. There's faithfulness without passion. Again, here's another slide to show you how this works. Love is spending the rest of your life with someone you want to kill and not doing it because you want to miss them, because you'd miss them. So now, if that doesn't make you kind of want to scoot together in your chairs right now, like I don't know what does. I don't know what can make you feel warmer than that? Um, question, though, for you. What, what area of your life, what area of your life are you willing to accept? What other significant area of your life are you willing to accept 50-50 odds? If you found out today that the, uh, your kid's favorite cereal that they eat every day, there was a 50% chance that they would get cancer, would you keep giving them that cereal? If you found out that the bank that you deposit money in every week, that there was a 50% chance you could lose that money, would you keep depositing money in that account? If you found out that there was some crazy airborne virus that affected cats and it caused them to like turn on their owners and devour them, <laughs> it could happen. Would you own that cat. Or better question, why would you have a cat in the first place? And uh, here's my point. Stay with me, cat lover. Stay with me. Um, Any area of your life where there's only 50% odds, you quickly change your behavior. You quickly change your behavior. You don't just keep doing the same thing, so why would you take that same chance with your marriage. Wouldn't you want to do something that maybe improve those stats a little bit? Wouldn't you think so? Now, what's funny to me, and by funny, I mean really sad, is that to get a driver's license, all right, just to get a driver's license, you need to take a class, you need to pass a written test, you need to pass an actual test, you need to get insurance, you need to spend a lot of other money on other things, 
and you've got to pay money to get, and then you can have a license. To get a marriage license, as long as you're no worse than their second cousin, 58 bucks gets you a marriage license. Do you think your marriage is maybe worth a little bit more forethought than that? Maybe a little bit more investment? Well, we do. That's why we want to do this series. And it's I do with a question mark. It's an I do with like what have I getting myself into or what have I got myself into. Many of us go into marriage unprepared. I know I did. I thought kind of I knew what I was doing six months in. Not really. Didn't realize that. Uh, I was pretty clueless. My wife was even more clueless. Um... Because she married me. And so we. So if you're not married yet. But maybe you hope to be married one day. I've got great news for you. You've got some time to prepare for this. You have some time to invest in this. Uh, You can still learn how to do things differently. Than everybody else. If you're already married. I still have good news for you. Uh, The good news for you is. uh, It's never too late. It's never too late. It may mean that you're going to have to walk away from some ways of thinking. It may mean that you're going to have to embrace some new ways, some new actions, some new habits, some new ways of doing things. But here's the hope. Um, do you remember your wedding vows? Of course you don't. Um, but in those wedding vows, in those wedding vows are sandwiched four little words that I, that I hope will help you renew your marriage over the next four w- weeks. And it's this, from this day forward. Remember that? To have and to hold from this day forward. In fact, you may even want to just think that right now. Just look at your spouse or whatever. From this day forward. From this day. Maybe you've you've made a mess. Maybe you've done some things you regret. I mean, some serious things. Um, What happens in your past doesn't have to matter as much as you think it has to matter. One of the things that the prophets declare in uh, Jeremiah in Lamentations 3.23, he declared that the mercies of God are new every morning. That's something that I would want you as a married couple. I want you to receive that for yourself. But here's where the money is. Give that to your spouse. From this day forward. Draw a line in the sand. From this day forward. From this day forward. It's going to be different. And there are four other little words in your vows that you may not remember that are going to be critical for you to have the power to do this. It came at the end. So help me God. For richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. So help me God. It's not just vows. It's a prayer. And you need that prayer. You and I need that prayer now more than ever. And I don't know where you're at with God this morning. But he designed marriage. He knows how it works. And guess what? He designed you. He knows how you work. And he has some things to say. And we're going to take a look at that, those things over the next four weeks. And let me just kind of tell you where we're going. Today, we're, I want to talk about a relational dynamic um, that's causing all kinds of breakups. And not just in marriages, any kind of relationship. I mean, with just a little bit of thought, you can apply this to any kind of relationship thing I'm going to talk about today. It will help you to thrive, and without it, uh, without understanding this, it's probably uh, one of the major reasons why your relationships are a disaster. And then week two and three, I want to talk about uh, what what a wife looks like and what a husband looks like. 
and then wrap it up with just something for singles specifically. But today I want to take a look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5, you turn with me in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a black one on the chair in front of you. And uh, that's on page 975 if you have one of those Bibles. If uh, you can use your phone to look up that scripture, just got to promise me don't look at any scores, all right? Just promise me that. At least don't show them to me. Galatians 5, uh, we're going to do verse 13 to 15. We're going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, and then we'll actually talk a lot of it. But uh, Galatians 5, 13, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing this to the church in Galatia, says, I, I think quite triumphantly, for you are called to freedom. I mean, all in favor of freedom. Yeah, me too. You are called to freedom. As human beings, we crave freedom. Freedom is at the root uh, of every desire in our heart, of every man or of every woman. It's a driving force behind all that we do. It's the reason why you, are, you want a relationship or you're in a relationship. It's the reason why... Uh, you're not in a relationship or you want out of a relationship or you don't want anything to do with relationships. It's the reason why you work hard. It's the reason why you're lazy. It's the reason why you tell the truth. It's, why you, it's the reason why you're not honest. I think the technical term is liar. Um, your desire for freedom is behind everything. You have this something inside of you gnawing at you that you're not who you should be. And you have this desire to break free from that. And the claim of Christ is that he's called you to it. See, the good news this morning isn't, hey, you can have a happy marriage. It's that. But more than that, I'm just going to put my cards on the table. The, the real good news today is that Jesus Christ, he came and he bled and he died so that you could have what all of us are searching for behind our jobs, behind our hobbies, behind our relationships, and yes, even in our marriage, that we can have that as we trust him. He's called us to freedom. Now, this freedom that he's declaring over us, which is awesome, which is good news, it comes with a warning. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, flesh there means self. You know, a way to look at flesh is to to reverse the letters and take off the H. And you get self. There's a book of like really bad pastor jokes, and that's one of them. <laughs> this is the scriptures are saying. This is, what, this is what the scriptures are telling us. Paul's telling us that your greatest enemy to freedom is who? You. It's me. I am my, I am my biggest enemy toward the freedom that I want. That if I take this freedom, if I take uh, this, this thing, I could do whatever, and I make it about me, something bad's going to happen. It's called narcissism, and it's an epidemic in our culture. Uh, we are the greatest. I mean, just even thinking about, uh, you know, something like 9-11. Thinking about the tragedy, or any tragedy. You know, it's just like how quickly that became like, oh, i got to wait 15 minutes in the line at the airport. Martin Luther said this. He said that the, that the heart is in, uh, incurvitas. means curved in on itself. This heart... is is curved in on itself. And if you're thinking, what in the world does that have to do with marriage? Let me just say you've never been married. Because it has everything to do with marriage. We take even something like marriage, and we have this this 
amazing ability to make it about us, to make it about what we want. So I want to explain that a little bit because this dynamic plays out in your marriage and it's messing with you and it actually plays out in your, all your relationships and it's messing with you. Now let me tell you, and I'll tell you how it starts. Let me show you something. You're probably wondering what these um, bos- uh, baskets are for, but we have a basket full of desires. And they're not bad desires, just things that we want. So when we approach marriage, we, we have these thoughts of what life is going to be like. And when we begin to think about, some of us think about, you know, we're going to have this, this certain house. I have this desire and we're going to uh, uh, spend money a certain way. And we're going to, we're going to spend our time uh, a certain way. Um, uh, some of us think that uh, we'll be watching football with that time. And, and some of us uh, think that we'll be watching romantic comedies with that, with that, with that time. Or, or no, here, here's, here's what maybe some of us might think is we're going to, we're going to talk. We're, we're going to spend our time, and we're going to sit at the table, and we're going to talk. How's that going, ladies? Um, yeah. It's true. Too bad. Yeah. So good desires, and, uh, you know, like, you know, even in talk, thinking, oh, yeah, thinking about kids. I mean, we just have thoughts about our kids, and, and like, you know, how awesome they're going to be, and uh, we just have thoughts about, you know, certain roles, and, you know, who's going to do what, and for, I mean, we think that for sure, he can for sure do this, I mean, he can, I know, I know, I know, you know, and for guys, ladies, it's just really simple, it's really simple, Uh, guys have, guys pretty much have one desire, and that desire is when it's time to go to bed. We, we, we want, we're, we're thinking that you're going to put something on. We have hopes that you'll put something on. And um, it's not this. And um, <laughs> we're, our desire is that you would not go to bed wearing that. few people just walked away thinking what was going to happen and you know what this is fun. i mean they're, they're just they're just i mean they're just designing to talk is is good i mean you know football is holy it's why it's on sunday and then this is you know how you're going to do your schedule and you know this is bad but this is uh you know these are all just good desires that you want and you know after all i mean but the problem with this the problem with this is that, well, those desires have one thing in common. They have, they have me in common. Um, it only makes sense because I'm, I'm, I know what me want. And I, I approach uh, a lot of clarity uh, around what I want. I mean, that's why couples are so happy. I mean, they're walking down the aisles and they're swinging their hands. And, uh, and, they're, and they're so, when they say I do... Uh, the reason why they're smiling is because what they're saying I do to, they're saying I do to these desires. They're saying I do to these desires. But something happens. Something happens. I, I don't know if it's when they leave um, the, the, the chapel. I don't know if it happens on the honeymoon. 
I don't know if it happens a couple months later, but these these desires, we begin to, we start to put all these things in in a different box. Like, you know, when they were desires, they're fine because they're desires. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, God gave us, you know, desire to do certain things and all those things are, are fine. But what ends up happening is these desires become become expectations. You see, when you when we when when we were when you were my fiance, we would dream about things, and we we would dream about you know how we would spend our money, and, the, and we'd we'd have these these desires. But but something happened that changed those desires to expectations. In when expectation enters a relationship, there's no longer any margin for love. The best day is a peaceful day. And I'll get to that in a minute. But when you get to this point, there's just two me's in the room. There's no we. Two me's fighting for an opportunity for the flesh. And you've got three options. One is you get up and go. I can't live under this person's expectations. Their expectations of me are too high. I can't do it. I got to go. Or uh, they, they'll never, I mean, I expected, you know, a husband that was like this. I expected a wife that was like this. And they're just, they don't, they're just not a good husband. They're, they're just not a good, they're just not a good wife. So you go. But guess what? When you leave, when you leave, you take your expectations with you. And when you go to that other relationship, the stats don't get better for you. They get a lot worse. So one is, one is that you just get up and leave. The second thing that happens, second dynamic, is that no one leaves, but the stronger partner wins. You conquer. You conquer. And over time, uh, the dominant partner finally gets her point across about, <laughs> hey now, Finally gets his point across about how the spouse should be. She finally understands what it means to be a good wife. He finally understands what it means to be a good husband. Now the dominant partner's thinking, well, this is a pretty good marriage. It's a great marriage. And here's why. It's really easy for me to be me. There's nothing profound. Don't think about it. It's nothing profound there. It's just easy to be me. I know how to be me. I don't, I, it's not easy for me to be Rachel my wife it's really stressful for her to be me takes a lot of effort here's the problem with most if not yeah most marriages in america most people would either consciously or unconsciously subconsciously whatever you call it would define a good marriage by the other spouse meeting their expectations a good marriage is when the other person meets my expectations. That's a good marriage. Now, for the weaker partner, a good day for you is when things are calm. After a few years of the dominant partner convincing you that this is what a good spouse looks like, you know, you wave the white flag and say, okay, I'll do that. I'll be the spouse that you expect. This is the way your dad was. This is the way your mom was. I'll be that person. And that can work for a while, but eventually you break down physically, you break down emotionally, you break down spiritually. And it's a total me marriage. A marriage that uses freedom that you've been given for self. Now there's a third scenario. And this is a scenario where most of us may land. And that is a, a uh, compromise marriage. 
a compromised marriage. You do your part, I'll do my part. We split the bills and we'll split the responsibilities. We'll do holidays over here one year and we'll do holidays over here. and We'll just kind of figure it all out. It's this big, you know, we'll compromise on how we raise the kids. We'll compromise on how we spend the money. You know, I'll get my TV, you get your bedroom set. And, and, you know, I have my friends and you have your friends. And let's, you know, never have meat. And, you know, you have your hobbies and I have my hobbies. And we just got it all worked out. This... This marriage can last for a really long time, but it is the worst me marriage because the deal is, is if you do what me want, me do what you want. And you've got two massive me's in the room and no we. A compromised marriage is a massive commitment to me. And when things go bad, this is what you hear. The prayer request is for my marriage. Will you pray for my marriage? Not, not will you pray for me. Not will you pray for my spouse. This is pray for my marriage. There's a, there's a big commitment to you on your marriage. I mean, you've got, you've got these um, expectations. You have these desires. And you want to do anything to make sure that you can get this. In fact, you'll do this. You'll let go of the rope a little bit. So that eventually you can pull it back so that you can get what you want. It's a marriage dominated by me. It's a commitment to me. You know, nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible are we to be committed to marriage. You know, it never says that. It never says to be committed to marriage. Do you know that? I mean, did you really know that? It does say that we're be to be committed to a person. It's a slight change in language, but it makes all the difference in the world. And when this happens, when you have a marriage built upon expectation, you no longer have a marriage covenant, you have a marriage contract. You have entered into a debt-debtor relationship. Because another way of saying, I expect something from you, is you owe me. You owe me. You owe me, you owe me uh, the, the life that I want. You owe me the time that I want. You owe me uh, the kids that I want. You owe me. I expect. You've entered a debt. And in that kind of a relationship, again, I said this earlier, there, there is no margin for there to be, you cannot experience love and intimacy. There's not enough margin for that. The best day is a day where there's peace. Um, because how much credit, so if you have expectation of your spouse and your spouse fulfills that expectation, how much credit do they get? Zero. Because that's what you expected them to do. So how could they, how could they ever express love to you if all they, the best thing they can do is meet your expectations? I have a debt debtor relationship with my mortgage company. You know what? When I pay my bill every month, I never, I have never gotten a phone call that said, you know, Mr. Mowry, we just want to thank you for that check that you sent us. Um, thank you and Rachel. In fact, of course, you know, say hi to, you know, Ella and Simon and, the, you know, Josie. Please say hi to the kids for me. Um, I just want to thank you for that. Uh, just... Totally unexpected, and um, 
We thank you for that expression of love. I don't get those phone calls. I guess you don't get those phone In fact, if I want to talk, I mean, I can't talk. I mean, I, you call them on the phone. It's a, it's a, you go through a phone maze. I mean, you can't, 15 minutes later, there's no attention. You get no special attention when you, when you pay your mortgage. You know when you get a lot of special attention? When you don't pay your mortgage. I mean, they'll, they'll, you, if, if you could talk to anybody you want in that company if you don't pay your mortgage. I mean, they'll call you, you know, Mr. Maurer, this seems to be a problem, and, you know, we sent you a letter, and a handwritten letter, and then, a, and then an email, and then another email, and now, you know, the five of us are going to give you a call. We want to give you all kinds of special attention because you did not meet my expectation. A lot of you have marriages just like that. Every day. These desires that you have that secretly became expectations. The best they can do is keep you at peace. And vice versa. If they do something wrong, you'll hear about it. Don't meet expectations. You'll get some special attention. You'll get a note. You'll get a, a phone. You'll get, man, he never calls. She never calls. She never do something that... Don't meet their expectations. They'll call. They'll text. They'll let you know. You said 5 o'clock and it's 5.05. You promised that you were going to fix whatever. I mean, how hard is it? I mean, really, how hard is it? I mean, can you not do this? Honestly? Sundays are a long day for me. Um... I, go, I start work a little bit before five in the morning, and um, uh, I, this is this is my third of third time speaking today, and it's just an adrenaline pumping morning. And uh, when I f- get home finally at one thirty, uh, I'm spent, and I have some desires when I come home. A sandwich. The remote control. (laughs) My chair. And a little peace and quiet. Just two hours. Like nobody, I want to see, I just want to see 23-year-old men in pads. That's all I want to (laughs) see. That's all I want to see. Now you can argue with that. I think it's a pretty good desire. Um. And if it stays in desire land when I come home today, if it's a desire of mine when I come home today, I will receive that, those things as an expression of love from my family to me. And it will fill my heart up with love for them. But if it's an expectation, and I come through the back sliding door and I open it up and I hear cartoons... On the TV? Cartoons? No sandwich? Somebody's in my chair? The best that they can do is just keep the peace in the house. 
But those moments do not create love if it's an expectation of mine. You don't want that relationship. I don't either. So how do we change it? Well, Paul's going to help us. Go back to Galatians 5. I'm going to read 13, and then I'll get back to where I want to park just for a few more minutes, and then we'll close. Paul again says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but here's what you need to do. Through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor and certainly your spouse as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. So Paul's now going to tell us why we do not use our freedom for the opportunity for our flesh. Because if we use our freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, we will end up not getting our freedom, but losing our freedom. In fact, we'll devour and consume each other. If it's about my needs, if it's about my happiness, if it's about my, you know, you complete me. If it's about all of that, it's about me becoming a better, that's a surefire way, money back guarantee of you destroying Every relationship, not just your marriage relationship. If you live in that world. If you make it all, you're going to devour, you're going to annihilate. So it says, don't even give an opportunity for it. Don't even say, hey, don't even, don't fall into being selfish. I mean, that's, that's sophomoric and JV and hopefully we get that. It's saying, don't even, don't even give there an opportunity. Just eliminate the possibility that you would make Anything in your life, including your marriage, about you. So what do we do? Well, Paul, here's what, here's what I think Paul's saying. Paul is saying, what if we did this? What if we took all these expectations that we have? You know, how we're going to spend calendar, um, you know, the talking, the, the football, the, you know, the, the, how, all, this, all these things are good. What if, we, what if we took all these expectations and we put it back in the desire column? And what if we had our baskets, our expectation baskets empty? Paul's saying, what if you did this in your marriage? What if you went to your spouse and you said, you don't owe me anything? You don't owe me anything. I am, I am choosing to empty the expectations I have on you from this day forward. And not only that, but you made a commitment to do what Paul says, to serve one another in love by saying, I want to spend my life serving your desires. I'm not going to make this about me. I'm not going to make it about what I... I'm going to make it about you. I'm going to lay down my life to serve your desires. Now, this would seem impossible. I mean, at least unlikely. Except there was one who took this dynamic to the ultimate conclusion. In Philippians 2, it says of Jesus that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, 
But guess what he did? He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He says, in this relationship dynamic, you won't serve me, I will serve you. I will give my life for you. I will, I will put myself before you, before you, and I will serve you. I will give you what only I can give you. And when we take the dynamic that, that, that Jesus, how he treated us, that he emptied himself, and he laid down his life and served us, we can turn around, and we can operate that way in our marriages and in all of our relationships. Emptying our expectations, seeking to serve one another's desires. What if you did that today? What if you did that? What if we all did that in our marriages? What if we all did that in our relationships? What would our marriages look like? What would this community look like if we made the choice to say, you know what, it's not, it's not about me. It's about others. I'm not going to put these expectations on people. Because the best that they can do is bring it to ground zero. I'm going to release people of these expectations. And I'm going to live my life seeking to fill their desires. I'll tell you what. I mean, there'd be so much love and that would bubble over in your marriage, in your community, passion, intimacy, all of it. Or you can just keep doing what you're doing. And you know how that ends.